Hello, welcome back to Take Orally, and delighted to welcome back Canal Go Hill, our, fam- our favourite pharmacist in the world. Hello, Canal. Dr. Thomas, it's good to see you again. I feel like this podcast has been... I feel years in the... No, not years in the making, well, but I feel like it's been months in the making. Well, earlier this week I tweeted out that our last podcast was Easter 2018. No way, that, it was that Easter. That was the last time we podcast together. My God, my God. And, uh, you know, uh, these podcasts with you rate very well. I feel like we've been depriving the people of for too long. <laughs> you're kind, uh, you're kind. And our, our busy schedules have meant that we've been unable to meet during office hours, so we mm. selflessly... Selflessly. ...met at Annie's Burger Shack. We're in Annie's Burger Shack right now. Yeah. Are actually in Annie's Burger Shack. This, this is, is a, um, this is a special occasion. Yeah, this is a this is a public health message. It really is, and we should be in a public place. I feel like. <laughs> so we're having a, a few fluid boluses in yes. Annie's Burger Shack, and Absolutely. we're going to talk about adverse drug reactions. Adverse drug reactions. So. My absolute bread and butter as a pharmacist, absolutely. Adverse drug reactions. Um, so a lot of uh, our listeners are students, um, either medical students, uh, non, um, non-clinical non prescribers, they're uh, advanced practitioners. Yep. And uh, as a rule of thumb, whenever I speak to pharmacists during exam period, they say that the most dangerous thing that is on a ward is a new doctor, new nurse, whoever, with a pen who absolutely. can prescribe. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this, the thing that scared me probably when I became a more senior pharmacist is, is it is easy to say that. A, scare, a, a worrying thing is a junior doctor that thinks they know a little bit more than they should know or they actually do know who makes errors. But actually, when we're talking about adverse drug reactions, we're not talking about errors. We're talking about actually often natural consequences to therapeutic doses of drugs that have to be considered before you're starting them or in the monitoring period whilst you're actually initiating them and you're monitoring your patient over time. Mm. So it's a very tricky thing to fully understand, a really tricky thing to risk mitigate before you start it. So hopefully this podcast is going to give us a little bit more background about that. Cool. Uh, and I should point out all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines that we're going to mention are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. So if you're at another trust, please follow your trust guidelines. Quite right. Uh, and any of the views that are expressed during this podcast are other speakers. Oh, Absolutely. There we go. There's our disclaimer. Cool. So uh, let's start with the obvious question. What is an adverse drug reaction? Absolutely. So adverse drug reaction. And it is a slightly tricky concept because it's very easy to confuse an adverse drug reaction because it encompasses a lot of different things with a toxic effect or a an under therapeutic effect so the the concept of adverse drug reaction in the world health organization the people that define this best is this is a noxious or unintended consequence of a medicinal therapy that's been initiated for a human at a normal therapeutic dose so this isn't a unintended consequence caused by prescribing a massive overdose Mm -hmm. or a massive underdose. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about a massive overdose, we're talking about a toxic reaction, which is a different reaction to an adverse drug reaction. Subtle point, but it is a difference. And obviously an underdose, that's a difference in terms of they're going to get treatment failure because of the actual dosage of the drug, but not actually the handling of the drug itself. So consider an unintended or noxious effect mm-hmm. of a drug that was prescribed correctly at a therapeutic level. Okay. Uh, so we're not talking about giving um, 100 units of insulin to a patient no. or so prescribing this be, um, 50 milligrams of morphine or whatever. Absolutely. Though, in saying that, there'll be some particular patients that 
quite legitimately could be prescribed 100 units of insulin if they have particularly high resistant um, type 2 diabetes. So this is where it changes. If you give that to a treatment naive person, <laughs> that is a that is a toxic symptom. If you give that to a patient that actually has therapeutically, logically prescribed it, it becomes an adverse drug reaction. It is a slightly tricky concept, but always remember that it's within the literature, a dose that is intended to have a therapeutic effect. Cool. Marvellous. Mm-hmm. Right then, so um, I think we may do these over a two-part podcast, um, yep. but you were talking about uh, the six types of adverse drug reaction. Absolutely. So shall we in this podcast look at the first three? Uh, that sounds reasonable. And we'll talk about that. Um, so um, I like a mnemonic. I like to keep things nice and simple. I like to use the alphabet if possible. So I hope that you're going to be fulfilling you'd my be simple doctor brain here. You would, you'd be in luck because Excellent. adverse drug reactions are grouped into alphabetic categorization. I work in A&E, this is perfect for me. This is it, this is it, and this is how I remember it as well. So there are six key types of adverse drug reactions that the literature have divided all these things into. There's subtle differences between each, there's big differences between some of them. So let's start off with type A, start at the beginning. Cool. So a type A adverse drug reaction, A stands for augmented, augmented drug reaction. So this is a situation where you have a drug that causes an effect which is unwanted or noxious that's readily identifiable and predictable because of its pharmacology. So this is the adverse drug effect that encompasses more than 80%, probably 80 to 90% of all the adverse drug effects you'll ever see. Right. So this is a situation, you've got a drug, you know how that drug works, and you know if that drug is working too well in this particular person, it might cause a side effect or an adverse drug effect. Right. So let's, let's go through some examples of this logically, because we see this very often in A&E. In fact, in saying that, we say, so the literature says that anywhere between 5 and 8% of presentations to hospital that requiring inpatient admissions have some sort of adverse drug effect um, as, as, a potential identi- as a potential background reason that, that, that they've presented. Yeah. So, let's give an example here. So, we often see patients in ED. So, let's talk about a patient that comes in, who has come in, we've done their ECG, they're bradycardic and they're dizzy and they're not feeling quite right and they're hypotensive and they're just off generally and we look into their drug history and we find that they're on digoxin so digoxin we know is a cardiac glycoside is its drug is its drug mechanism or its drug class and it it's a rate limiting agent so it will cause a not necessarily causing a bradycardia, but it's going to control the heart rate. Now, when you've got a patient that becomes bradycardic on digoxin, you have to rule out a digoxin toxicity, which is a slightly different thing. But in this case, we look a little bit deeper into this patient and we find that they're on 62.5 micrograms of digoxin, which is a relatively low dose. It's a therapeutic dose for human conditions. And they've just started to get a bit bratty on this and they've started to get a bit symptomatically hypotensive and things like that. So, what would you think in terms of a management plan for this kind of person in the acute sense? What would you do uh, with this dioxin? I'd want to have an ECG. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'd be looking for the backwards Nike tick, slight sign of Dijoxin toxicity. Mm -hmm. I'd want to go to Toxbase, and I have actually had to deal with one patient previously with Dijoxin toxicity, Mm -hmm. and that involved Dijoxin binding. Absolutely. Uh, uh, factors in the cold. Yeah, so that's uh, digibind or the digoxin specific yeah. antibodies and things like that. Uh, but I'd want to use knees. I'd want to know how the kidneys were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be particularly interested in their potassium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'd want them on monitoring. Absolutely. Anything else? No, no that <laughs> sounds logical to me. So in this case, what you've got is a potential type A adverse drug reaction to digoxin. So this is a situation where the normal pharmacology of the drug has caused an effect which is unwanted or noxious. We take up, we do our blood levels, this person isn't toxic, so this isn't a toxic reaction, this is a natural drug reaction to the digoxin. What kind of factors, considering that this person's been on 62.5 microgram for a long time, but they've only now just presented as bradycardic and generally off, what kind of factors in that patient might predispose them to having that adverse drug reaction, do you think? Uh, well, you'd be looking at had they have any other medication changes, mm-hmm. anything else that they've been on, uh, a course of some other medication, say antibiotics or something, you'd want to know uh, any other recent illness that might have set them off, had they had an yep. infection, have they decompensated somehow, Absolutely, all of that sort of stuff. So lots of different reasons, and all of them are absolutely correct. In this case, it's changed the drug handling slightly of digoxin, even though the dose is legitimate. And as a result, this person has experienced an adverse drug effect. So this effect can be attributed to that drug at that dose, even though it's a normal human condition. So that's one good example there. Let's go for another example. So let's say we've got a patient that's recently been diagnosed with uh, benign prostatic hypotrophy, as it stands. And they've been started on finasteride and tamsulosin. So tamsulosin. They've had about a week of the tamsulosin and they're noticing that when they're getting up or when they're up and around, they're feeling really, really dizzy. And today they've come to ED because they felt so dizzy that they've fallen over. Yeah. So in this case, what kind of factors are we thinking about that potentially being an adverse effect? Well, sounds like uh, your classic postural hypotension. So that the uh, yeah. So it's one of the things that you counsel patients on tamsulosin, and it's a factor that you do see in in, in patients. Mm-hmm. And you'd be thinking that that's it. You know, you, you've stood up, you've, uh, you've and um, blood pressure's dropped, and that's why you're feeling lightheaded. You're not fusing your brain until you collapse. Absolutely. So a, a known side effect from the pharmacology of this drug. We're intending it in this case to react on smooth smooth muscle on the urinary sphincters but we know it's got a collateral effect systemically and in this case that systemic effect has caused that adverse effect it's predictable we know it but in this case it's caused an unintended consequence brilliant so let's talk about another one so let's say we've got a patient who has recently been post-op so they've had let's say an appendectomy and they've been discharged with some paracetamol and some oromorph. And they're in pain because, you know, you would be in pain after an appendectomy. Uh, And they're taking this oromorph quite regularly because of the pain. Now they're finding off the back of that that they're feeling really drowsy, really lethargic, 
um, they're struggling for any get up and go at all, anything like that. They're probably they're, not opening their bowels. Absolutely. Well, they're not doing that either. <laughs> uh, but at this point, and that's a whole other type of adverse reaction. <laughs> but in this case, um, we've got this patient who is lethargic, drowsy. It's affecting their quality of life. Now, in this case, again, could this be a potential adverse drug effect in your view? Uh, in my view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good answer. I, think, I mean, that seems like a strange. Point. Yes, it seems absolutely. straightforward, but it's really important yeah. to understand the yeah. classing of these drug effects. So, in this case, we know opiate therapy, particularly in patients that are opiate naive, they're going to get some level of sedation, some drowsiness. Worst case scenario, respiratory depression. You can see these people getting chest infections and getting problems coughing and breathing. But in this case, we've got more lethargy, more drowsiness. And it's again, it's an unintended noxious side effect Fentanyl of that therapy. patches. I Fent- from HCOP, they were right. What's it for that? Well, well, that's a hard one. Fentanyl patches are even more difficult because their drug handling is difficult and it you can't just whack a patch off with a fentanyl patch. It's going to stick in the skin for ages, but reasonable example as well. So all of these things calling, causing unintended consequences that are really affecting this patient on their day-to-day life. So these are unintended consequences. We have to do something about them. So the question with these type A reactions, how do we manage them? How do we manage them? What would be your what would be your treatment approach? Well, you'd always want, um, and we should be saying this, especially as we're being recorded, a very patient-centered approach. Definitely. Discussion about the risk benefits with the patient. And that's before the prescribing even takes place, and that is incredibly important. Say so that this is a drug that will make you, we can, if you use your tamsulosin example, we can help you urinate. Yep. Uh, but you may feel lightheaded. Mm-hmm every time you stand up and yep. there is a risk of falling and this is our concept of safety netting when we start any new therapy because any any drug we start is a poison to a certain extent most drugs are going to have some sort of unintended potential unintended consequence yeah. and off the back of it we need to be able to safety net that patient so they can come back to us so we can put a management plan in place the question is what is that management plan at this point because now we've got our patient with the digoxin bradycardia or the tamsulosin postural drop or the opiate drowsiness so um i mean oromorph you could say well that's a temporary measure anyway you shouldn't really be on oromorph long term correct so actually once you are healing and your pain has gone away we could Mm -hmm. go well that'll be gone that's right uh digoxin you might consider an alternative Absolutely. So this um, and then, uh, yeah, and I suppose tamsulosin as well, because otherwise you're going down a road of, well, I'm going to whack in fludrocortisone yeah, to whack up your blood pressure, exactly. and then, and then you, you get your patients in... on two drugs, and yeah, yeah. Then you get into polypharmacy, which yeah, would be absolutely. another podcast, maybe. <laughs> so you're exactly right. So you, you have two options to manage this kind of adverse drug effect. You have, can we switch to another agent that is less likely to cause this adverse drug effect? So in that case, digoxin, considering all the different factors, can we rate control with a different agent? Can we use a beta blocker? Can we use a rate-limiting calcium channel blocker? In an opiate, can we use paracetamol, which would actually have a much less likelihood of causing those effects? Tamsulosin, harder, but we'll come on to that. So one option, can we change the therapy to make it more tolerant to the patient? The other option is typically, because these are pharmacologically known and predictable mechanisms, can we alter the dose to still get the effect we want, but also prevent some of these adverse drug effects? So in that case, that digoxin, could we actually dial back that dose so they're still getting the benefit of the drug, 
but they're also not getting the side effects off the back of it. The Oromorph, maybe we're giving them a little bit too much, though it might be therapeutic for that patient, might not might be a little bit too much. Can we dial back that dose to be able to bring those back? Tamsulosin, you can't actually drop the dose of Tamsulosin because it's a fixed dose preparation. Can we use an alternate alpha blocker, which is going to give you a similar effect, and dial the dose back? So in this case, your type A drug reactions, you're looking at amending the therapy to something more tolerable for the patient yeah or we're looking at reducing the dose of that drug yeah. to make it more tolerable for the patient in that case and that's your key principles of how you're looking at type a drug reactions the but you raise a very important point they are predictable at the point of prescribing consider the potential for that adverse drug re reaction looking at your patient population yeah are they old do they have renal problems? Is there, even though this is a therapeutic dose, is there a likelihood they could be slightly more pr prone to an adverse drug effect? Yeah. And that's your principles of managing a type A. I suppose, I mean, I'm not a urologist, but I mean, you've mentioned tamsulosin, but you know, is there a non-medical intervention? Yeah, well? that's right. Is there a surgical intervention? Actually, could you go, dear surgical colleagues, this patient is not tolerating medical management of this condition. Yep. Is there a non-medical management that would actually absolutely help this patient and, that's and a, fix the problem? Definitely. And a great example of that is actually can be pain, chronic pain. So actually, if someone's got a very known complication, we treated a patient that had some sort of benign tumour in their leg, and we're actually on a multitude of different analgesic drugs. They're on opiates, they're on tricyclic antidepressants, they're on carbamazepine, they're on all sorts of drugs to control this pain. We're actually, and that, their attendance was because of a, a fall potentially related to the sedation off the back of those drugs. Is there a surgical option to go in, remove the root cause, which will actually potentially remove the need for any of that? And there's lots of different examples of that. I think cancer is probably a good example of that, yeah, generally. Yeah. So there are other options. Yeah, you're quite right. Non-pharmacological measures. Brilliant. So um, that's uh, our augmented, our A. Absolutely. Adverse drug reaction. Which so I'll stress is, the, is probably the most common type of adverse drug reaction and the most easy to the most easy to safeguard against if we get it right in the first place. Cool. So uh, I'm assuming that B follows? B follows. So, so we have our type B drug reactions, which are much rarer. You're talking less than, well, I think the literature varies, but it's less than 2 to 5% of all adverse drug reactions are type B. B stands for bizarre. <laughs> well, it's useful that bizarre is rare. Exactly. Absolutely. Really if, if bizarre was common, it probably wouldn't be bizarre anymore. Quite right, quite right. Bizarre, bizarre is bizarre. Bizarre is bizarre. So, in this case, these are drug reactions that are not readily anticipatable when you prescribe them. So, not something that you can see coming. They might have been recognised, but they have an infinitesimally small amount of chance for somebody to actually develop them to the point that actually we almost call them irrelevant. So you're not going to counsel your patients about these? Often you can't, so it depends on the literature. So some of these drugs, this type B reaction might have been documented, but is so small that we might safety net them for it, as yeah. we did with the type A's, but in some cases it's so rare, or even sometimes never known to have happened before, that you can't counsel your patient on this. So this one's a much more difficult one to safety. So we're into case reports, presenting this, and this That's is something right. quite interesting. In some so. cases. So in this case, the most common one that we deal with, and even though we say it's common, it's not common compared to type A. It's common relative to others. Absolutely. Yeah. Is our 
anaphylactic reaction to a drug. Okay. So an anaphylactic reaction, an immunological reaction to any drug uh, that re results in anaphylaxis or a life-threatening problem or some one of these problems, that is non-predictable. So you can in theory have an immun immunological reaction to any drug whatsoever. Some of them more common than others because of their their drug structure and things like that, but you can't necessarily predict them at the first time you're giving them. And in this case, you're managing it in a very different way. So let's talk about the most classic version of this, a penicillin allergy. Okay. So a penicillin allergy at the first point of prescribing. So this person potentially has never had a penicillin before. They don't have a documented history of penicillin okay. allergy. They can still Which not unheard of. Not might unheard have, of at all. You know, might have a patient well into their teens slash adult, never had an antibiotic before in their life. Absolutely. Who could, who you could give a penicillin to, quite rightly, legitimately, and have a catastrophic anaphylactic reaction to that drug. Hypotensive, throat swells up. Uh, I've, I've seen it. I've yeah, seen it. and yeah. it's it's not pleasant at all. And this is a bizarre reaction. So this is a quirk of the human body where we've reacted to a foreign substance that's not necessarily harmful to us that has caused a opposite, in fact. absolutely that's caused a systemic inflammatory response so it's not predictable it can happen for any drug so i've seen i've seen a patient genuinely go into anaphylaxis after taking a dose of finasteride which is a prostate drug that's almost completely Harmless, what? otherwise. Yeah, 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 I've seen a case of it. That was when I was working at City Hospital. Completely unpredictable. The, the registrar that prescribed it, it was more than reasonable to start it. Therapeutic, correct, and somebody had a terrible, terrible reaction for it. So these are much, much harder to, to, to identify. Yeah. So penicillin allergy is a hard one. We've obviously, we can look at our history. If someone's obviously got a history of this reaction, we're yeah. not going to give it to them again. Well, that's in a different territory. If you're prescribing penicillin to somebody who's told you they're deathly penicillin allergic, that's a completely different territory. Yeah, that's not an adverse reaction, and that's, that's just probably on you. Negligence, yeah. Absolutely. So, penicillin allergy is a good one. Let's talk about a couple of others. So, carbamazepine. Let's talk about carbamazepine, which is a, a drug we use for epilepsy mm -hmm. quite often. Mm -hmm. um, it's a drug we also use for trigeminal neuralgia. We mm -hmm. use it for bipolar disorder. This is a relatively common drug. Now, carbamazepine has got a bizarre adverse drug reaction associated it with a reaction called Steven Johnson syndrome. Ah. So, Steven Johnson syndrome is a toxic necrotic type syndrome that happens off the back of a drug causing skin sloughing and it's a pretty damn awful thing. So if you want a picture of Steven Johnson syndrome, uh, a recent podcast that we did for paediatrics with Rachel Tricks mentioned mm -hmm. Steven Johnson syndrome. I put So if you look at that, I put some pictures of it, but it's a nasty, sloughy, blistery, the mucous membranes are yep. involved, there's ulcers, the skin is literally tearing off the patient. It's, it's horrible. Um, I've been in the, fortune, I don't want to say fortunate, I want to say unfortunate situation of seeing a case of Steven Johnson syndrome when I worked in London at the Royal Free Hospital. And this, was, this wasn't this was actually carbamazepine, this was a patient who was on lamotrigine, which is, again, it's associated with it, it's a known symptom of it, incredibly, incredibly rare. But we had this patient, I'd never seen anything like it. Their skin was just, it was, I don't even know the color, it was blue to gray, it was coming off. This like patient, tissue paper, isn't it? Yeah, Just it no awful. substance to it this, at all. This patient was bandaged everywhere. They were dehydrated. They looked as if they were at death's door. It was one of the worst things I'd ever seen in my life. And that patient was prescribed lamotrigine for epilepsy. 
completely legitimately there was that was the correct drug for them in that course of action they just developed this reaction and that's why we call it bizarre so you can get it from a, a, quite a few of these different things. NSAIDs can actually cause it as well. A few of the anti-epileptics can cause it. There is a few drugs that have been associated with this, but in theory, again, it can happen with any drug. Mm. It's, it's one of those things that's completely unpredictable. Okay. One other one to touch on, particularly with our ED head-on, and we've discussed it in one of our older podcasts as well, is about angioedema in ACE inhibitors. I was just about to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, you read my mind, read my mind. <laughs> so this is an even weirder one. because the cameo trial that we held in the A&E. So the, the ACE inhibitor angioedema one is almost even stranger because some of these other drugs you can predict because they typically occur when you first start taking them. An ACE inhibitor angioedema can happen years after tolerating the drug and it being very effective and all of a sudden we can get our person in our ED who says I'm just swollen up and I can't breathe and we haven't really got any particular reaction or explanation for it and it can be caused by the ACE inhibitor in this case that's another example of our bizarre drug reaction so again we go back and um, this one is a harder one to anticipate we can certainly say though in saying that there are very particular circumstances where we know patients are slightly predisposed to getting these bizarre drug reactions. So a good example of that is if we have a person that's got a penicillin allergy, so we quite rightly don't prescribe them penicillin allergy. Medical students and ACPs, please don't do that. <laughs> but we might consider an alternative agent, and one of those alternative agents might be a cephalosporin, which is a different drug. It's a different drug. Yeah. But in this case, we know from the literature and from the studies that there's a cross-reactivity of anaphylaxis between patients that are penicillin allergic and who, are, who we subsequently give a cephalosporin to. So in that case, we can actually preempt some of our prescribing choices to preempt these bizarre drug choices. So in that case, cephalosporins, also meropenems, are carbapenems. So Carbapenems also have a beta-lactam ring. They're related to penicillins. They might give you a similar reaction. So in some circumstances, we can preempt them to a certain extent. We go to our carbamazepine and lamotrigine example. So carbamazepine in particular, for whatever reason, and I don't know whether it's a genetic reason, most likely, that Steven Johnson syndrome in people that have started on carbamazepine is typically associated with people of oriental descent. So people of South Korean and Chinese descent are more likely to get this carbamazepine toxic Steven Johnson syndrome. So there's particular circumstances of patients where we know there might be a slightly higher likelihood of them developing this toxic reaction. And in that case, because the risk benefit changes at that point, we might well just decide to use another agent. Yeah. So in this case, preempting is good. Look at the literature. Is there a potential risk factor for your patient to develop this? And in terms of your immediate management once you're dealing with it in ED, it's dead easy. It's like a toxin reaction. You've got to stop the drug. Stop yeah. the drug straight away. There is yeah. no other way about it. Treat it as if it's a principle of toxicology. You're stopping that drug. You're writing all over their drug chart and all over their medical history. This person has had a toxic, bizarre reaction to this drug, and they should never be given it again. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so the cameo trial uh, was investigating um, patients um, having... Uh, Angioedema related to ACE inhibitors, and they were looking at whether using um, a cantabant 
a Kataban demon, mm. a Bradykinin uh, B2 receptor antagonist, yep. and they found that I had no benefit versus placebo. Oh, okay, so it was yeah, an yeah. attempt to, to see if there was a cure for it, essentially. That's interesting. I didn't actually, I didn't know that. I know it Kataban. Yeah, we did, we we used did a bit it in a and &E. I remember we, 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 I don't know how many patients we recruited, but I remember it was one of the trials we were doing in A&E. Mm. Uh, but then I remember that, you know, there was a big, there was a thing, that, which is why we do research, and actually the fi there was findings that there was no benefit versus placebo. That's right. Interesting. That's really, you taught me something today, JT. Thank you. <laughs> there you are. There That's you good. Absolutely so, fantastic. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Go on. No, no, so, as we said, Type B, bizarre. It's, it is a strange one. It's very difficult to predict. It's one that the key thing is managing it once you've got them, because quite often you wouldn't necessarily have been able to preempt it. So remember, stop that drug. So stop that drug, document it. That patient is now allergic. To and that they drug. should not have that drug. Ever again. have it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Boom. Fine. Uh, so C follows B. C I follows that B. Nursery. That's it. Type C. So type C stands for chronic. Ah. Chronic exposure to a drug. So, give you a bit of history. I should give you a bit of background here. So, historically, when we looked at adverse drug reactions, they were classed as A and B. We only had A and B back in the day. So, everything was classed as augmented, i.e., predictable. And B is in bizarre, unpredictable. But over time, with the strange reactions we see to drugs, we've decided that managements are different and we need to class them into other things. So C was the first one, and that's a chronic adverse drug effect. So this one's a little bit more of a tricky concept. So we'll start off with a scenario again, and a scenario again I've seen in ED. We have our patient that comes in who is otherwise fit and well with a chronic dry cough. Chronic dry cough that they've had for months and months and months to the point where they present to ED. They probably shouldn't present to ED, but they're presented to ED irrespective. <laughs> and we have a duty of care to them. If you have had a problem for months and months and months, that's do not right. To wait. Absolutely. So in this case, they have. Now, we do our investigations, we rule out infection, we rule out PE, we rule out pneumothorax, we rule out most of our normal worrying presentations of cough. We've ruled out cancer at this point. This person has been taking amiodarone for 10 years for control of their AF that they had one episode of years and years and years ago. So they've been on maintenance, maintenance amiodarone for 10 years. Now, given I've told you that, Dr. Thomas, do you have any theories? Well, I guess the amiodarone is related to it. Damn right, damn right. <laughs> so, in this case... They didn't give me a medical degree for nothing. <laughs> so, in this case, amiodarone, chronic use of amiodarone, is associated with pneumonitis and pulmonary fibrosis. I did not know that. Correct. So, in this case, prolonged use of this drug turns your lungs to rope. That simple. And actually, over 5 to 10 to 20 years, people can develop this cough, can develop this COPD asthma-type symptoms, even though they don't... Well, they technically fibrosis is a COPD condition. But it's not necessarily attributed to normal COPD mechanisms. So in this case, this patient has developed a chronic adverse drug reaction for that amiodarone. So that amiodarone has caused the, their pulmonary fibrosis and therefore is explaining their symptoms. So this is a chronic adverse drug reaction. They've been taking it at the correct dose for ages. It's been doing its job for ages. It's now caused collateral damage. So this is a chronic adverse drug effect in this case. So another one of our more common ones 
is a patient that comes in on let's go with a let's go with a, an, another stranger example so there's a tb drug called ethambutol mm. so ethambutol is a mycobacterial antibiotic ethambutol again very good tb drug and tb we know potentially you have to be on this drug for years and years uh, until you're cured of tb until you're completely out of it especially if it's multi-drug resistant that's right and ethambutol causes an optic neuritis so it can cause blindness over okay. time so it deposits in the eyes and it causes damage to the vessels and you can get blindness so in this case people that are on ethambutol for one two three years will slowly experience a vision um, vision loss to the point where you can get them categorized as being clinically blind. Wow. So this is another example of our chronic drug reaction of um, a, a chronic adverse drug reaction to the to the ethambutol. So these are all drugs that you're taking for a long time that are causing a cumulative effect. So some people say chronic, some people say cumulative, uh, and they're causing damage long term. One other example, which is one that we don't always pin down very well in medical care, which is NSAID use, frequent NSAID use. So a person that has maybe a job, maybe they're a laborer, maybe they have a job that's very physical, they take ibuprofen regularly for five, 10, 20 years at a time. For aches and pains. For aches and pains, general, general bits and bobs like that. And you know, you can buy this stuff over the counter, it's not difficult to get a hold of. Then start to get symptoms of heart failure, start to get symptoms of hypertension, might even have an MI. Now we know that these, the chronic NSAID use leads to fluid retention, has adverse cardiovascular side effects associated with it. So in this case, again, somebody that's taking regular NSAIDs for a long, long, long time, that then develops some level of cardiovascular disease, that could be considered a cardiovascular, um, sorry, a adverse, a chronic adverse drug effect to the NSAIDs over time. As well as an ulcer. As well as an ulcer. So gastric ulcer is another really good, um, another really good example of that as well. So it's not going to happen initially. It's going to happen for a long time and might well develop that gastric ulcer over a five, ten year period. So again, let's go back. How do we manage these kind of things? Do we, it's all preemptive in this case. So this is about using the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time possible to justify treating this patient and also to review it regularly. If you're not doing that, if you're leaving someone on indiscriminate amounts of NSAID over a long period of time, if you're leaving someone on ethambutol for an indiscriminate piece of time, if you're leaving someone on amiodarone for a very long, long time, lowest dose, shortest period of time, also it's your follow-up and your monitoring. Yeah. Are they likely to develop these symptoms? Once we're at the initial stages of them potentially developing these symptoms, yeah. then we need to think about going into a type, we're in a type A situation at that point. Can we reduce the dose? Can we change the therapy? Can we stop the therapy? So in this case, it's a lot about monitoring. It's a lot about considering the risk before we start it, the chronic ones. So what's the main difference then? If because you were saying then that augmented drug adverse drug reactions are quite predictable. We're mm -hmm. using the right dose. So 
chronic root adverse drug reactions are coming as well. They're mm -hmm. predictable. They're coming from normal use. Normal so, use. So and what's the main difference then between those two? So I guess augmented is the is the day-to-day -day pharmacology of an aug so an augmented type A reaction is the day-to-day -day predicted pharmacological action for how we're treating this condition on a day-to-day day-to-day basis. The difference between that and chronic, and I can understand it's a subtle difference, is the chronic reactions don't cause that reaction on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is something that has to have acute, that is going to cause a change to your biological mechanisms, your, your basically your your normal homeostatic mechanisms, but they're only going to be present after X amount of time. Okay. So we know that taking an NSAID for one week is very unlikely to give you a gastric ulcer. That's not going to happen in any circumstance, really. Even if your patient has altered drug dynamics during that seven-day period, if they have an AKI, if they're incredibly low, low body weight, they're very unlikely to develop a gastric ulcer within that seven-day period. Ten years down the line, at therapeutic use, that becomes a chronic drug reaction. Okay. Excellent. So that's the ABC of adverse drug reactions. That's it. Uh, there are three more to do. Three more to do. So shall we approach those in part two? We'll approach those in part two. We'll get another fluid bolus. Another quick one, yeah. And we'll have a look at the, uh, the burger menu as well. <laughs> Um, I will see you soon, Dr. Uh, Thomas. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so we'll um, put the uh, blog entry for this podcast will be available on Take Orally. Uh, obviously, Take Orally is always available on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you please follow us. Uh, we'll put the Take Visually for this podcast up on Instagram as well as on the website. Excellent. And remember to uh, subscribe to us. We're on Apple Podcast, we're on Spotify, and we're on SoundCloud. So please subscribe, please follow us. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you very much, Canal. We'll see you soon.